There have been few debates in recent memory that have split people along partisan lines more than the debate over why Canada and Ontario have not vaccinated more of their citizens. You can see blatant evidence of this split on social media, with Twitter hashtags like Trudeau vaccine failure or check the freezer, Doug. So where does the fault lie? Is it at the feet of Prime Minister Trudeau for not getting enough vaccines quick enough? Or is it at the feet of Premier Ford for the way vaccines have been distributed? Well, like most things, the answer is more complicated. So, host Craig Needles decided to speak to a couple of people with different perspectives on this matter. Peter Fragascados, the Liberal MP for London North Centre, and Professor Amir Adaran, a frequent critic of both the federal and provincial responses to this pandemic. This is the Blackburn News Podcast. You've probably seen the social media posts from people in your life, older relatives, healthcare workers, saying, I've been vaccinated, which is great for them, but you might be wondering, when will it be my turn? Of course, people aged 16 and older have had access to the COVID-19 vaccine in most of the United States for some time. So why is that not the case here in Canada? Well, the partisan bickering on the internet makes that difficult to figure out, so we decided to ask Dr. Amir Adaran. He's a professor in both the Faculty of Law and the School of Epidemiology, Public Health and Community Medicine at the University of Ottawa. Dr. Adaran, how has Canada and Ontario done in the vaccine rollout race? Look, I mean, specifically for Ontario and Ottawa, I know that Mr. Ford and Mr. Trudeau are arguing over whose fault it is there aren't vaccines. Let me be clear. It's both their fault and we're suffering the evil of two lessers. Both these men have failed horribly. And, and it doesn't make sense to decide whether Tweedledee or Tweedledum is the more culpable. The fact is the federal government procured far too few doses for early delivery in 2021. And what few doses they did get the, the paucity they did get has been sitting in freezers in Ontario and not efficiently delivered. That's on both men. They're both failures. And across the country, we are seeing certain provinces doing better than others um, at the rollout, although they are still limited by the fact that there are too few vaccines to go around. And that principally lands on Ottawa. What do you think they should have done differently? Obviously, a lot of this goes back to the end of 2020 or even not even the very end of 2020. I'll say fall of 2020 when it was looking like we were getting closer on some of these vaccines. And they obviously made some choices that other countries did not. I know there is an argument surrounding the buying power Canada has and and where vaccines are produced. We'll get to that in a second. But what should they have done back in the fall, do you think? Well, even back in the spring of 2020, you know, Craig, I first wrote about Canada being on a disastrous path for vaccination last August. Last summer, I wrote about it for Maclean's. And what I warned about last summer was that Canada had blown it on two fronts. Number one, we were not the first country or the second country to sign contracts for deliveries of vaccines from companies based abroad. We dithered on signing contracts. And of course, the later you are getting in the queue, the later you're going to be served. So we were slow. Our second mistake was 
Canada never gave serious thought to manufacturing vaccines in Canada, which is something other countries have done. Now, the excuse has been used that Canada doesn't have vaccine manufacturing ability. That is absolutely nonsense. We don't have a lot. That's true. But we had in January 2020 actually more capacity than Great Britain did. The British, however, got on a crash course in 2020 of building the manufacturing capacity, and they got it done in a few months. And that's why they're now one of the leading countries in the world for vaccination and why they're coming out of lockdown as we're all going into it because they wisely built up their manufacturing capacity from a point that was behind ours in January 2020. We didn't try. We didn't try to build up that vaccine manufacturing capacity in Canada. And now we're paying for it because we're entirely dependent on foreign suppliers and we're not in the, we're not the first in line for those suppliers. Uh, yeah, they've got other contracts and other uh, nations they want to get to before us. Now, that brings me to the buying power question, because I know that when there, there's a discourse about this online, and I'm, I'm sure it's been in your Twitter mentions, it's been in mine when I say, hey, you know, the provincial and federal governments have some blame to share for uh, for, for, for what's gone on here. Uh, they say, well, Canada doesn't have the buying power that the United States does, so we can't compare ourselves to the United States, which is true. We don't. But at the same time, there are other nations that have managed to finagle this and, and, and managed to be in a better spot than we are. Well, look, Israel doesn't have the buying power of Canada, now, right. does it? Nope. You know, I mean, it's it's not even as populated as, as Ontario. It's more like Quebec. And yet Israel has the leading statistics on vaccination of any country in the world. They're number one. So it's not a question of buying power. You know, we are a bigger country than Israel. We're a wealthier country than Israel. They somehow beat us. And they they beat us by actually being very scientifically innovative and offering up to Pfizer access to their health databases so Pfizer could study how well the vaccine was working in the real world. That's another thing we could have done that we didn't do. Yeah, there's uh, a list here seemingly. So it gets back to the original question, which is when we're saying, hey, whose fault it is that we're suffering what has a chance to be a pretty horrific third wave, and in, in some cases it's already been that, uh, yeah, we could have uh, hypothetically been better off from a vaccination perspective, but there's also the aspect of what the premiers have and haven't done when it comes to rollout as well. Uh, how would you uh, grade that? Because, of course, there's been some mistakes there too. Sure. Um, you know, Ontario's big mistake was to put General Rick Hillier in charge of vaccination for several months. Now, this is a man who has zero public health background or education. He's a military general. Uh, with all due respect to him, he lost his last war in Afghanistan. So we put him in charge of the war on the, on the virus with vaccines, and that didn't go so well. But that was predictable that it wasn't going to go well. You put the wrong person with no expertise in charge. And at the same time, that was true Ontario pushed responsibility for the vaccination program down to its regions. It didn't plan it centrally. No government can expect rural Ontario or the poorer parts of Toronto or Ottawa 
um, strapped as they are to meet their health needs to be fully capable of planning and executing a vaccination program. It was foolish to do that. Now, other provinces statistically, some are behind Ontario, Nova Scotia, for example. But Nova Scotia hardly has any COVID. They're almost COVID free, so they can afford to be slower. And other provinces are ahead of Ontario. Quebec, for instance, which has done on the whole, a very, very poor job with COVID, but on vaccination, they're doing better than Ontario by quite a bit. And, you know, the big problem I feel here is that the wheel has to be reinvented time and time again as to how vaccines should be mobilized, delivered, who should be eligible. That has to be invented by each province. In the case of Ontario, it has to be invented by each region I can't think of another country that is as sloppy as this. Um, even federal countries like the United States doing much, much better on vaccination than Canada is. What does the federal government have to say about this? Peter Fragascados is the Liberal MP for London North Centre. Peter, there has been some criticism, but how do you think we've done on the vaccination procurement and rollout phases of this pandemic? First of all, Craig, let me just say to your listeners, I hope they are healthy and safe. I know this is an enormously difficult moment. Probably, not probably, it is. It is the worst moment of the pandemic. And I'm doing my level best. And I know that every other elected official in the city is doing their level best to help people through this. As far as the procurement effort on vaccines is concerned, Craig, we have had some challenges in the past. Uh, I'll be the first to admit that late January and February were difficult insofar as securing deliveries from Pfizer and Moderna is concerned, but we're past that. In fact, we are now on a per capita basis, second in terms of vaccines administered in the G7 and the G20. Uh, that is something that is not widely reported, but the fact that we're seven, second in, in that says a lot about where Canada stands, and I expect fully that we will continue to see uh, secure deliveries and people being vaccinated. Over 13 million vaccines have been delivered. There are many more, many more millions of doses uh, coming in the next few weeks. Uh, next week, uh, two million alone. Uh, as far as Ontario is concerned, most of the vaccines are being sent to Ontario, and a total of 5.2 million doses have been sent to our province at this point. Uh, it is, yes, an enormously challenging time, but as far as the procurement effort is concerned, I'm confident that it is going well and that will continue. Now, if you ask me about if we had a domestic manufacturing capacity, would things be better? I think it would be better, but that is a problem that goes back to the late 1980s in this country. It's something that this government has taken steps including the most recent budget, but before it as well, to rectify. And it is a, a lesson learned in the pandemic. Uh, the U.S. has fared better as far as vaccinations are concerned, as has the U.K., because they have a domestic manufacturing capacity. Uh, but look, we, we, could not, uh, we could not invent uh, and, and create at whim that capacity in just a few months. And that's why we had to decide to, to procure vaccines. And, and we've signed uh, seven deals with uh, with various pharmaceutical firms. So that's where that's where the situation sits. 
We heard from Dr. Amir Adaran earlier in the podcast that Canada could have been ramping up its vaccine production capabilities even before vaccines were finalized back at the very start of the pandemic a year ago. Is that something we could have been doing just with the benefit of hindsight now? It's a very fair question. It's a question that I've asked of the government as well. The reality is is that we did try to get pharmaceutical firms, leading pharmaceutical firms, to set up shop, if you want to use that expression, here in Canada. But it was determined by them that the necessary infrastructure required to manufacture vaccines in Canada just was not where it needed to be. Uh, And so that left us with one option, which was to uh, partner with a variety of pharmaceutical firms, and not just one. I I think we we took uh, an approach that was uh, quite prudent, recognizing that you never, we can't predict the future and you never know what's going to happen with particular vaccines. We decided to put our eggs in, in various baskets. And, you know, we have Pfizer, we have Moderna, AstraZeneca, uh, Johnson & Johnson very soon. Uh, there's another three firms uh, as well. And not every firm that we've uh, signed agreements with has uh, been uh, approved by Health Canada. All of which is to say that we uh, we took the course that was the most realistic. We took the course that uh, that was open to us, the only option that was open to us. But the UK has fared well as far as the vaccination effort is concerned because they were able to uh, to source domestically. Um, going forward, Craig, I want to see us prepared in the future so that we do have that domestic capability. As I said earlier, this is something that... Um, it's a failure of, of, of governments of the past, uh, liberal and conservative. Uh, now, hindsight is always twenty twenty, and uh, this is a this is a pandemic that is that no one expected, uh, but it's here. And governments of the past, uh, one can say, should have been prepared, should have focused on that uh, domestic um, uh, vaccine manufacturing capacity. Uh, it didn't happen, and so this is what. Um, this is this is the position we're in. There's there's no way around it. We can't wish the world into existence. We have to uh, deal with the world as it is. Uh, how do you feel about the way the next few months looks, uh, specifically here in Ontario? Well, I would say that contrary to what some have put out there in terms of the challenges we're facing now relating to uh, supply or, or what's perceived to be a lack of supply, lack of supply is not the issue. As I've said, Ontario has received the most vaccines out of any province, and and that will continue. We need to, in the next few weeks, look at allocation, which is a provincial matter, uh, and the federal government stands ready to be to continue to be a partner with the provincial government on this. But allocation is is the challenge. Finally, we have seen um, a a different course taken with respect to AstraZeneca. The age recommendation, as you saw, went from 55 to age 40, and, and the provincial government made that change just a few days ago. We need um, hotspot areas to be given more vaccine. Uh, combined, those two changes will do a lot. So AstraZeneca, the fact that uh, those 40 and up can now get access to that vaccine, that means that all those AstraZeneca vaccines that were in freezers will start to flow, are starting to flow uh, to uh, to pharmacies and primary healthcare providers. Let's also ensure that those hotspot areas get what they need in terms of doses. And areas that have been 
undesignated as hotspots. Look at uh, look at the N6A postal code, which is right in the heart of the riding that I represent. It has not been designated as a hotspot. Now, I'm not sure where the numbers are in terms of um, in terms of right now, but in just a few weeks ago, it was one of the most affected postal code areas of the province, but yet not designated a hotspot. Craig, uh, I want to give um, I want to give kudos to my provincial counterpart Terence Kernahan on this, who continues to raise the matter. I know the mayor has raised the matter, the the issue, and uh, our chief medical officer of health has talked about the N6A area, but also London more generally as in need of being designated as a hotspot. So in the next few weeks, we need to uh, to look at all of these things. Uh, Craig, and um, uh, we, we do need to do better uh, at, at the provincial level. But I know there's good people in the Ontario government that uh, that want the government to listen to science. And I think that's the, the final point I'll leave you with on this question. Hmm. We have to listen to the science. It's, it's, uh, it's very clear that the modeling predicted this. In mid-February, if you remember, the uh, one of the chief uh, advisors to, uh, to the provincial government, right, Dr. Brown, uh, Adelstein Brown. He was asked in a press conference if the modeling was predicting a very disastrous third wave. And he was unequivocal that that's where things were going if public health restrictions were lifted. And that's exactly where we have ended up. This episode of the Blackburn News Podcast was written by Craig Needles. It was produced by Craig Needles, Scott Kitching, and Taylor Dixon. Remember, you can follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to our podcasts at blackburnnews.com. The Blackburn News Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media. Blackburn News.